What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I am Mark Stay. And a big thank you, as always, to the people who keep this podcast going, our, our patrons over on Patreon and our academics in the Bestseller Academy, uh, and to our listeners, one and all. Thank you all. We, we simply wouldn't be able to do this without your support. Mr. D., how are you today in sweltering Canada? Oh, my goodness, Mr. State. I tell you what, I have never experienced heat like this. For everyone who's been following the news, um, the West, the Pacific West, as they call it, has had a heat wave the last week. And oh, my goodness me, we have had temperatures. I mean, just, just where I'm based up to about 43, 44 um, degrees Celsius. I don't even know what that is in Fahrenheit. I think it's about 100 and... 15-ish, something like that. Wowzers. But literally a couple of hundred kilometers away in the interior. I mean, I'm the lucky one. I'm out on the island where there's a there's a supposedly a sea breeze, but out in the in the interior, Canada hit its highest ever temperature in recorded history. And it and they usually say it's, you know, often you beat the record by 0.1 of a degree. It beat the record by nearly five degrees. And it was some poor folks in the mainland were getting temperatures of 49.3 which is like nearly, I can't quite get my head around that. That's almost 50 degrees Celsius. Wow. Wow. No, not, not fun. Not fun at all. I know we, we seem to start every episode talking about the weather now. I mean, it's we so do. English. Well, we are British. But, but that is extraordinary weather. And I want to make sure you and yours are all okay out there because yeah, that's, well, no, that's no joke. So so one of the crazy things is on Saturday, um, my car broke down coming off the highway, the motorway. And the funniest moment, like there's, all, like there's always something comical that happens when disaster strikes. The car would still move at about three miles an hour. It's automatic. And it was like, Ugh. and I managed to get off the highway and I turned the corner and got to, the, and I pull, and the very first, the very first pull off that I could get to was a little, um, a little kind of parking lot. And what was there? A sex shop. So we parked the car in front of a sex shop. <laughs> And and Lynn, bless her, who I was with, said, we can't park here. Like, everyone knows me in this area. We can't park here. I said, we'll put the, we'll put the hood up. We'll put the bonnet up so people know that we're... No, it'll look like it's a ruse. We can't park here. So I literally, I, I almost risk blowing my engine. I, I, I literally, I, it's not about frying an egg on the engine. It would have incinerated an egg. It was that hot. I, I managed to reverse and then go about another three kilometers an hour down this off-road to get to the next place, which happened to be a really nice patisserie with broken <laughs> air conditioning. But my goodness, were we happy because we waited two and a half hours for the pickup truck to, to save us. It was utterly brilliant. 
<laughs> we were standing there laughing our heads off thinking, you know what, you know, there'll, there'll be a good story out of this. So, uh, have you ever have you ever been recognised because of the podcast? Because that, that would have been the worst play. Hey, one of our listeners one of our listeners walks out with a big bag. Oh, uh, ah, Mr. D. Uh, oh, uh. oh my gosh! Ever since we started doing YouTube, yeah, absolutely, we get we get mugged everywhere we go, don't we, Mark? It's uh, you know you know the, the what I have been. been I I was recognised about two years ago in the doctor's waiting room up the road here. And I was sitting there... <laughs> That's almost as bad as being outside a sex shop. <laughs> reading, reading, what are you in here for then, <laughs> Mr. State? Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Got laryngitis. Reading reading a, a book about... Because our doctor, it's just all yachts, books about yachts, so they're clearly doing very well out of it. Sitting there, and and this lady, and I, I'm, forgive me, because I, I don't think I asked for her name, but she came up to me, tapped me on the shoulder and said, you do the bestseller experiment podcast, no don't you? I listen way. to that. I really enjoy it. Oh, thank you very much. And off she poodled. So that's the only time I've been recognised, sort of, you know, outside of that book fairs brilliant. or whatever. You didn't sign yeah. The, yeah. the yacht magazine for her so she could take it away. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. That's amazing. I didn't know that. That's. I mean, because I know you've been to lots of conventions. And last week, podcast land, Mr. Stay was... On the London Book Fair, two panels. I'm saying we're going up in the yeah. London, aren't we? Eh? We got London. a mention in the bookseller as well, the you know. So uh, know. things yeah, are looking cool. up. Yeah, things yeah. are looking up. Yeah, well, very good. It's very good. Pinch yourself moment. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, anyway, we. I mean, yeah, we could talk about the weather. We could talk about heat. We could talk about, but we've got a load of things to get through on this podcast. So we should probably we should probably pull back to the world of book writing because. Mm. Um, one of the big things I saw happen just in, in passing when I was jumping on social media, I noticed that you actually finished. Did you finish a first draft of your yes, final, what well, of your third book in the, in the Witches of Woodville series? Yes, I did. I touched the end just, just yesterday. Thank you. And it was, um, uh, this was, this was the one where I, I, I had, I did it the Aronovich way. I had a, <laughs> had a one-page outline, and I just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And the thing I was doing was switching between handwritten notebook and then taking what was in the notebook and then typing up the next day. And I tell you what, it's my favourite new method. I absolutely really? love it because of that that connection between brain and pen. Yeah, it's you know, there's no winking curse. There's nothing holding you back. It's just write, 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 and it it flow. And I would do that thing of. Ask a question uh, on paper. I would, I would literally write. Uh, okay, how does she get out of this situation? Well, she could do this. She could do this. She could. Oh, actually, let's do this. Write it in bold, then highlight it later on, and then you know. So, um, yeah, it was. It's worked really, really well. I mean, the first draft. It's a raggedy old mess. I can tell you that. It's. Uh, but I, I know how to fix it. I'm putting yeah. it away. I'm doing other stuff now. So uh, I, I worked on a pitch for a TV thing, to, a film thing today. And then for the next week, I'm editing someone else's books. So that'll be fine. So I'm taking a few weeks off. But yeah, the third book in the series, hopefully there'll be a fourth, a fifth and a sixth. That's still a negotiation. But um, yeah, it was great fun. Really, really That's great. That's fantastic. Well, it's kind of, you know, the fact that you finished the first draft, you know, it's a raggedy old mess, but you've been there before. I think that's the value of finishing a first draft and getting your book published once over because you go forward with that kind of badge of honor of knowing, okay, I've been here before. I know the score. Um, rather than so many people, I think 95% of people get stuck in their first drafts and never get to the end. And they never get that kind of, that accomplishment, that, that finish line, that, that, 
you know experience of knowing that it's going to get better and it's um it's, it's really good to continually hear that i don't think we can hear that enough actually the one thing i didn't do that i've always done before i never went back and fixed anything and i've always done it i've always gone back and fixed a few things and and tweaked a few things and gone oh i'm i'll just i need to change that name let's go back and check haven't done anything i've left a note fix this later but i got to the end I mean, entire characters just disappeared because I'm reading it thinking, I'm, I'm writing it thinking, I don't need them anymore. So there's like two or three characters that were supposed to be in the finale, not there. They're just going to vanish two thirds of the way through the book. So I've not gone back and I've just forwards, 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 got to the end. And I just feel really, uh, it's a mess. No one's going to read this. Um, I'm going to go back, fix it, and then go from there. Question Was it the quickest first draft you ever wrote as a result of using this method, would you say? You know what? I think it might be. Yeah, I think I, I, think, I think that's worth 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 mentioning as well because it's not. I think there's actually a huge benefit and a trade off to finishing a first draft as quickly as possible because I think there's less chance of getting stuck. It's a bit like it's you know you've got to run through through muddle treacle at some point during during your first draft. But if you're running, if you've got a lot of speed momentum, you can kind of skim across the surface rather than getting bogged down in it. And I'm going to officially announce on this episode a new acronym for our experiments and academates, which is FTL, inspired by you, Mr. Stay. Fix this later. That is the acronym that everyone should be using in their notes, whether it's in their notebook or on their Word document or in Scrivener or in google docs whatever you write with ftl just stick that in fix this later and don't don't worry about coming up with the what you have to fix in uh, funnily enough in science fiction and certain areas of science ftl stands for faster than light as well (gasps) well there you go not quite that fast but you know well there's the connection (laughs) if you fix it later you'll write your first draft faster than light so it's a double entendre or a double meaning. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Excellent. <laughs> You're very welcome, folks. Take that away. Let's spread that around the internet. Um, tell them it started here on this episode. And in 20 years from now, when editors around the world are going, what the hell is all this F- FTL that everyone keeps putting in? Then one day they'll learn because they'll find this podcast. Brilliant stuff. Nice. Nice work, Mr. Stay. <laughs> I love it. Now let's let's dive in. So so the, the third book, the third, third draft, sorry, the first draft of the third book is finished. Um yeah. The second book's not even out yet, though. October, and I should be starting the copy edit soon uh, for that. Uh, so that I mean, it's written, you know, copy edit, then I proofread, and yada yada. So, so you do? Are you doing kind of like a dosy do? You're doing the draft of book three and the copy edit of then book two, and then go, that's quite a yeah. nice way of doing it with yeah. series. Are you quite enjoying writing a series because I know this is the first time you've written oh, a series. Before. I love it. I love it. Absolutely love it because it's it's um it's like great. What what trouble can I get them in today? You know, so the 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 precinct, the characters, all set up, ready to rock, and I just throw different things at them every time. And I should have done this years ago, ten years ago, really mm. seriously, or yeah. even five years ago when we interviewed Sharon, <laughs> Shannon Mayer. She told us, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're slow learners, but you know, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. Well, I'm very excited. And if you haven't seen, um book two's cover which has already been revealed by mark if you pop along mm. to markstaywrites.com yeah just look at my pinned tweet as well on at mark stay on twitter it's called babes in the wood uh the artist by the magnificent harry goldhawk who's just amazing and uh there i won't reveal the title of the third one yet because it's about to change from the working title and we might announce that soon but it does have the word ivy in it so uh, oh. hopefully that will give him a lead on the, on the third book so fantastic um, yeah very exciting brilliant stuff let's dive into this week's interview mark tell us about sue tedden 
Sue Tedder. Well, friend of the podcast, Kate Harrison, got in touch and she said to us, you have got to get Sue on the podcast. She's done radio, she's done TV, and she's written a novel, and she's fab. And so we did. Uh, and uh, Sue's writing credits include the original drama Homefront, uh, which is an ITV series, 14 episodes of Birds of a Feather, which is an absolute classic. Uh, she's done tons and tons of radio, including The Archers as well. She also co-wrote the book Writing for TV and Radio, A Writer and Artist Companion, which is an essential and practical guide for writing for radio and TV. But she's written a novel, uh, Annie Stanley, All at Sea, uh, which is out now. And uh, we talk about writing for radio. We talk about TV novels. We cover all kinds of great British institutions, including the shipping forecast, the archers, birds of a feather. And we have some top tips for writing radio drama. Marvellous. So settle down, get your crumpets and tea ready and we'll have a listen to Mark <laughs> chatting with Sue Teddon. Sue Teddon, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? I'm very well actually. Thank you. It's a miserable day outside but I'm uh, I've have a smiling face and I'm ready to face the world. Excellent, excellent. So that's, yeah. It's summer, isn't it? That's summer. We had summer it was about two days of <laughs> no, summer. We had, that's, that's, that's that's finished. Well let, let's go out to sea shall we? Can you tell us about Annie Stanley all at sea? Yes. Um I've been asked a few times now where the idea came from, and I I wish I could say it came to me as I was listening to the shipping forecast, but but it didn't. It I first of all thought of it as an idea for radio because that was my instinct back then when I was a radio writer, which I still, of course, am. The premise uh, demoralised, not very happy with herself, not always a very nice person who's just given up on teaching and sits on her sofa all day and watches daytime television but when her father dies and his new girlfriend threatens to throw uh, scatter his ashes somewhere that's totally not appropriate she takes the ashes and decides to take them on a tour of the shipping forecast because her father loved the shipping forecast even though they lived in St Albans I had to pick somewhere that was totally landlocked opted for St Albans which was also very near to Luton airport when she goes off on this mad journey um and anyway, I'm not sure where the idea came from, but I do like to write characters that are that are screw ups, and I've written quite a few that are. And she's a very endearing screw up, and and it's been nice that the people who've read it so far have have warmed to her because there are times when she behaves quite badly and behaves quite selfishly. And so that was the idea that she goes on this tour of the shipping forecast. I'll have to explain. She only visits 14 of the 31 areas because. When I first got the commission, because I, I started it, I got the commission before I wrote it. Um, I then realised this was a really unmanageable thing for her to, to do. Can you can you briefly explain about the, yes. the shipping forecast and it's how, why it's so beloved in the UK? On Radio 4, the BBC um, broadcasts messages to people at sea, whether they're fishermen, whether they're uh, people who are at, um, on the coast to give them an idea of what the weather's like for that day, for the next six hours. So the shipping forecast is divided into sea areas. There are quite a few that are just areas of sea. There's no landmass there at all. Um, and so as long as I can remember, I've been listening to the shipping forecast accidentally or on purpose, but it's played first thing in the morning. So when I wake up early, which I often do, it's on at 5.20. I caught it this morning. And then I test myself to see if I can remember the name of the place before they get to it. I should do it on Mastermind. Um, <laughs> and it's on in the evening as well before before bedtime, so I sometimes catch that one as well. So it's just, I mean, its purpose is to tell people about storms. 
um, if they're out at sea or if they're fishing. Um, but it's become this sort of emblematic comfort blanket for the for the whole nation. So if you hear it, it's almost like the whole world could come to an end, but we would still have cockroaches in the shipping forecast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it just has a sort of a rhythm. It's like um, I don't know. I think it just it's something that just. And I'm not even patriotic. I'm really not. But it makes me feel quite patriotic. It's like it's like a little tour of the British Isles. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, there's something about it's very very idiosyncratically British, isn't it? And there's something yes. about the language that's quite. It's both poetic, puzzling, and reassuring at the same time. And it's always delivered in this lovely. I mean, I know people who fall to sleep with this. This sort of somnambulant yeah. voice, you know. So severe gale imminent you know think, oh severe gale imminent normally we go there's a gale coming there's a gale but there's this voice going severe gale imminent and you just feel oh that's fine someone someone's controlled yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the music as well the um the sailing by uh, music that you get before it at night it's very charming because it's very old-fashioned and it's very calming and it is like a sort of um a lullaby before you go to sleep yeah yeah. So anyway, Annie decides to do this. And I just when I started to write, I realised she wasn't going to be able to visit them all because that would just be too unmanageable. I mean, when I looked at the Charlie Connolly book, he used wherever he lives, London, I presume, is his base and went up and did a few and then came back and then went maybe a few months later, went and did a few others. And I realised that if she was going to do it all in one go. I was going to have to make some rules and the rules I made in the end were that she just goes around, literally around the coastline of the ma- the, the main landmass. So she didn't go to Ireland. She didn't go to Norway or Spain or France or Faroes or Southeast Iceland. It was the only way I could do it so that she would achieve her mad journey. Let's talk about uh, wonderful characters and let's talk about your, your brilliant career um, because you've created something uh, extraordinary and written some extraordinary characters. But... I, you started in radio, uh, and that started with The Archers, I believe. Is that right? It did. Well, I started as a uh, a journalist, and I wrote a lot of articles for magazines about comedy and about how to write, because I was interested. And I'd already written a, a radio play, I think, when I was still a journalist. And radio, uh, the, th- the thing, I have to backtrack a bit. I lived in Amsterdam Uh, for five years working for the in-flight magazine for KLM Airlines and I had no TV and that's when I became really addicted to Radio 4 because up till then it was just something my mum listened to in the kitchen Um, and certainly wasn't interested in the archers but I got quite hooked on the archers when I had no TV. Um, I did get one in the end, it's not a complete sob story Um, and I wrote a feature about the archers and then I thought oh I could do this and actually it's been a sort of (laughs) running gag of my career because I've done it and then been taken off it or not done it or not recommissioned I think three or four times in my life once quite recently so I did it from Amsterdam which was quite surreal because I was writing all about ram rattling don't ask I'm still not quite sure what ram rattling is I've got a vague idea um you'd have to say oh the ram rattle color is red this week um anyway um I was I was living right in the centre of Amsterdam and looking out of my window and seeing, you know, junkies stealing people's bicycles <laughs> as I was meant to be in Ambridge. Um, and that was quite a useful experience because it's very, I mean, I think people who listen to The Archers, and I still listen, I'm a huge fan, um, think it's quite easy, but it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. And that's why I never quite cracked it. 
I wrote some good dialogue. I love the characters, but the mechanics of writing a soap, uh, something particularly like The Archers, which has to be made really quickly. Um, well, I'm sure they all do. Um, I never quite cracked it. And I tried again a few years ago, just before I started on the old novels. Um, and again, just couldn't do it. I admire people who have that skill, but it's like a Sudoku puzzle. Um, there's so much you have to work out before you actually get to the nice bit, which is the writing. And I couldn't do the working out bit. Not clever enough. You know, it's, it takes a certain kind of mind to map it all out. I know you've got five characters for that episode and you've, you've, you've got so many speaking parts you've got to use in a week and it's got to be exactly that number. Um, no, I found it really, really not not what I can not my skill at all okay. it's quite good to know what you can't do isn't it <laughs> yeah, it certainly is yeah no no your limitations but then I uh, you moved on to tv I'm sure it wasn't just a case of oh I'm going to do tv now but you worked on one of the most popular shows in the 90s which is uh, Birds of a Feather which was created by Lawrence Mark on Maurice Gran and you wrote was it 13 14 episodes of that yeah over the years yes I mean uh, over the over the period of that first, you know, that its first incarnation. Um, yeah, and that didn't that didn't just happen. I'd written some radio plays and I got a ticket to the Edinburgh Festival as in they had a sort of new writer scheme. It's, I certainly wasn't a young writer even then. I think I was a new writer. Um, and Marks and Gran were talking about birds and that they were going to get a team experiment going as opposed to a bestseller experiment. And um, I'm... Lots of people surrounded them at the end of the talk, the way people do. But I just bided my time and I got back to London and then I asked if I could interview them for The Guardian about birds. And so that's how I got to meet them. Um, and then I sent them some radio scripts, I think. And Morris said at the time, and I think it's really, you know, this is very much their attitude. They wanted to encourage new writers, but they said it was like they needed to know you were in the Sunday League. They couldn't just take you on without some kind of experience. And my radio scripts were my Sunday league. Mm -hmm. um, so I joined the team quite nervous because it was quite boisey, um, very boisey. Um, but I held my own. I mean, I, 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 I sometimes had to sort of shout a bit louder. And um, I'm still friends with quite a few of them. You know, I'm, 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 Morris and I just communicate by social media now, but, but, but a couple of the writers I'm still good friends with. And it was a fantastic experience, but I really learned to, I grew a few layers of skin there, which is what you need. Yeah. And it, you know, book writing in comparison is, has been really pleasant. <laughs> I've, I've had some horrible experiences. I won't go into them all. Um, but yeah, where your confidence is not, but I've never felt anything other than nurtured and looked after in publishing. And that wasn't on birds, by the way. Birds, birds they were lovely to me, yeah. but it was quite boisey. Mm. I was going to you say it's quite boisy. Of course, famously, it's a story about three women, you know, yeah. two, two sisters <laughs> whose uh, both both their husbands are in prison is the premise. And then one one sister moves in with the other. And then you've got Dorian, the, the, the incredible neighbor who lives next door. Uh, you must have, you know, if, if you're one of the few women in the room, you must have brought a fresh perspective, a, you know, a perspective of, oh, gosh, it's a woman actually writing women. I mean, that, that yeah. must have been quite tricky for you. Well, a couple of women came and went. I was the one that stayed the course, really. So it wasn't—I wasn't always alone, but I was 
generally alone, although there were lots of women on the production team and producers and directors and such like. Yeah, there were episodes like there was one episode about Sharon going on a diet. And I said, I have, I, I, maybe I even suggested it, I can't remember now. I said, I have to do that episode because, you know, I've been on so many diets. I know what women want to hear and what they don't want to hear. I know how women approach this. And um, I, I, I insisted that I do that episode. And then I did another episode that I was very proud of, which was all about the three of them and their attitudes to having children because Sharon had met up with an old boyfriend and um, I think in a previous episode that Marks and Gran had written she'd had an abortion which was really quite groundbreaking for um, a sitcom and so there was a follow-up episode and it was all about the three of them and their attitude to their kids or having children or not having children and I wrote a scene for Dorian where she said um it's either children or beige carpets. I opted for beige carpets. But she says it with such a sad look in her eyes. And I saw a documentary, oh, I don't know, quite a while ago. Um, and Leslie Joseph said that was her favourite scene. And I was really touched by that because she played it so beautifully. Um, so I don't think a guy could have written that. No, no, I think you're absolutely right. You, I, I saw an interview where you said uh, Birds of a Feather is where you kind of learned a lot about story. What, what were the biggest lessons that you learned while working on that show? Um, there was one lesson which I thought was fantastic, which I used a lot in radio afterwards. Um, I wrote an episode where Sharon was dating a policeman. And obviously, because her husband was in prison, uh, a villain, this was very, um, this was, you know, the real conflict for her. And I had a scene where she's sitting on a bench. It was a, it was an, um, uh, an outside scene telling her boyfriend, why she, telling this bloke why they couldn't see each other. And it was a nice enough scene, but Morris said, why don't you have a bank robbery going on in the background? <laughs> <laughs> and and it made me realise that you can do so much with what's going on around you when you've got the scene. You don't have to just have two people sitting on a on a bench or in, in a wine bar, you know. I, and so I've written a lot of scenes ever since, and I think they're probably some in Annie Stanley, where something is happening, but the place they're in is inappropriate. Or I wrote for a soap uh, for the World Service called Westway, and I had a couple of people talking about one of them was pregnant, one of them was trying to get pregnant, and I just said in the sound effects in the background, can I have a children's playground? So all you hear is children playing and screaming and running about in the background. So I learned that you can make things far more colourful by remembering the setting, much more so in... I'm sure it's in books. I'm sure I've done it in books, but I certainly would do that in radio to put people in an interesting place. Um, I think I once put a couple who were going to their favourite restaurant to try and sort out their marriage. And this happened to me once where I went to a restaurant and it changed hands and it was now a sandwich bar. <laughs> so <laughs> they'd gone to their, their favourite restaurant thinking this was how they were going to sort things out. And it was now a greasy spoon. So you can... Maybe that's just because I'm quite a frivolous person, but I think you can make things quite funny by having a serious scene that goes wrong because of the location or Excellent. gets extra layers because of the location. That's brilliant. And that's, that's done to a... Morris Brown. Thank you, Morris. <laughs> that's a great tip. You then you created your own show, Homefront, which is about four army wives in the UK. How did how did that come about? And again, what were the what were the big lessons learned there? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, for a while, I had a dip in my career and I became a Royal Literary Fund fellow. Have you come across those before? 
I've heard of them, but please, please elaborate. It's a fantastic scheme that supports writers. So they base writers in universities a couple of days a week to help students with academic writing. And for my first placement, I was at um, the University of Essex in Colchester. And it was a really useful experience. And it was also just a great way of sort of keeping, you know, the mortgage paid. Um, and one of my students was an army wife because Colchester is a is a military town. And um, I asked her why she was doing this course in it was something it was something like physiotherapy. I can't remember. And she said, well, her husband had left her for a for a servicewoman while he was stationed abroad. And that just sort of gelled in my head. And it just occurred to me that I think there's been an American series uh, about army wives, but there had been nothing. And this was before Gareth Malone made them into a choir. I was writing this at the same time. And it just seemed to me a really rich story about different women and their lives. Um, and I called it Swags, first of all, because that's a nickname, Service Wives and Girlfriends. But we changed that in the end because people thought it was sounded a bit like slags. Um, I see that. I can see that. Um, and it it got a lot of interest and I, it got made by ITV Studios with a fantastic cast. I think it taught me that I don't ever want to write for television again. because it, <laughs> it was a really hard experience, really hard, very stressful. This is why the book writing has been such a delight. You know, it's just me and, well, you know, so many words a day. In my case, hopefully a thousand. Um, that was incredibly stressful because it got the commission and it was being made as episodes were being written. And so there were times when I was sitting in an office at Granada, um, in an office, because they were about to move to um, Media City. So there was an office full of old dead furniture and they found me a desk and I brought my laptop and I was just sat there for the day trying to get this episode sorted out. And the more pressure that was on me, the more I crumbled. And then I had to come back from Manchester on the train with a couple of the actors who were in it, including Greg Wise and someone else who kept buying me drinks and saying, so what's happening? How's it going? <laughs> I wanted to say, it's not going very well for me. Um, I just, it was another, it was another one of those, you know, be careful what you wish for. It was, it was a great experience, but it wasn't for me. And actually I've got lots of friends who write for TV and I think it's a, it's a really, it's a really tough environment, and I'm I'm of an age now where I don't have to prove myself to anyone. I don't have to win any battles with anyone, um, and it seemed there was an awful lot of, not conflict because it was a lovely team, but it just felt that felt that people thrived on the stress, and it it just it it wasn't it wasn't for me. No, it's it's that sounds like your worst not because the train has left the station and you've you're, you're basically laying out the tracks in front of it, aren't you? It's, it's mm. crazy. Mm. Wow. And we had major character changes. Um, there was one story where where the whole essence of who the act the character was, they had they decided against it. So that suddenly had to change in mid series as well. You know, all these. these you know, excellent TV people who knew their stuff. So they their instincts were right, but it just made for a, it made me lose my nerve, and that took a while to get back again. When you're not sure you're doing something right, um, that was your idea, but you feel you're. I felt I was letting the side down by not being good enough, which was nonsense. But that's that's that became a self fulfilling prophecy in the end. Mm. 
Are you a therapist, by the way? (laughs) Well, we'll uh, we'll send you the invoice afterwards, Sue. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, It's it's interesting because, you know, I've worked in film and I'm trying to get into telly. And it is, you know, you are told all the time well the st- the storytelling is isn't that different but the the pressures on producing you've got to fill those hours you've got mm-hmm. to constantly fill those hours you know so you're you are told uh, by people how stressful it can be but i guess until yeah. you actually actually dips your toe into it and been swept away uh, it's it's difficult i to... think if i'd started younger um because radio was so lovely as well is so lovely you know where you're really inco- included in the process and you're there for the recording and you know, it's just it's just delightful. Um, I think if I'd started TV younger, I probably would have that kind of you know nine o'clock primetime drama TV because mm. sitcom I was comfortable with. But if I'd started on EastEnders, if I'd started on Doctors or something like that, I might have learned the drill a bit better. But I I was suddenly thrown into something. Well, I threw myself into something that was out of my comfort zone and out of my skill set. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it was it was just really tough. Mm. Well, let's let's come back to radio because it's so rare for us to have a, a radio writer on the podcast. And whenever I think of radio, I I think of um, as it Timothy West wrote a brilliant satirical play yeah. called "The Gun That I Have in My Right Hand Is Loaded." Is and there are lines. It so, so, <laughs> who's that? Oh, it's my husband. What's that under your arm? A newspaper. You know, so that's how it's done badly. Do you have any? And you you co-wrote the book Writing for TV and Radio, which is part of the Writers and Artists Companion series. And folks, we'll put a link to that. There it is. We'll put a link to that in the in the show notes, so you can check that out. So, uh, what are what are your top tips for writing radio drama, Sue? Um, I think that sound effects one is a real uh, telling the story just through what the listener can hear is quite difficult. And I think, Mm. um. That's that's where it's it's almost I don't know it's almost like learning to ride a horse or something you suddenly get it and you suddenly get that you have to be quite subtle so you have to explain in the first scene through what people say where they are who they are you know what their body language is because you can't hear body language but you have to sort of translate the body language into how they communicate or don't communicate you know someone being angry you can do a lot with silence so you you can play on the subtext of people a lot on radio but I think people are very nervous about the sound effects and I think the the scripts that let new writers down is when they write things and and it's a perfectly understandable mistake they write things like sound of Mark entering the room sound of Mark turning on the tv sound of the tv now if you just imagine that an actor you know uh Mark enters um you don't have to have the sound of because the actor will do all that the actor wants to be given instructions and they want to actually physically act a lot of it themselves so it's just trusting the actor to provide the movement and the physicality and not over writing the directions mm. just thinking about how it would sound and just writing the bare minimum of what you need to set the scene because I've read a lot of scripts where people write half a page of where we are and, you know, what the room looks like. Well, nobody's going to hear that. Mm, excellent. Excellent stuff. Now, we talked about publishing and writing a novel. Uh, I think 
like you, for me, writing novels is my happy place because it's it's where I get to write it. And I work with an editor and copy editor, what have you, but there's there's no one looking over my shoulder expecting it to be delivered for a TV show next week or whatever. So mm. tell us about the experience of, of writing and, and what perhaps the biggest challenges were for you. All the words. All <laughs> the words. Um, I've written lots of serials for radio where – a 15-minute episode is about 2,500 words. A 45-minute play is about 8,000 words, I think, something like that. So when I started, I thought, this is, this, is, this is impossible. And when I read a book now and I know that someone has done what I did, I can't actually imagine how they did it because when you're up to about 13,000 words, you just think, no, I'm never going to be able to do this. Um, this is, this is just, this is just ridiculous. Um, and I've done it twice now because I've written, you know, my second book. Um, so that really was daunting, but I think it's, I'm, I know you've had lots of people talking about plotters and pantsers mm-hmm. and I am a sort of three quarters plotter with a bit of, well, the other quarter, obviously I, Writers aren't good at maths, but I can even do that. I can do that. Um, with with I've got a pantser side to me, but I've I've got a pretty good idea of what I'm going to be writing and where it's going. And that comes from radio because if you're writing for a 45 minute slot, you have to write your 45 minute play. You can't say, "Oh, I, I finished early," or "Can you, you know, can you can you make the next program go away?" Because I've I've run over by 10 minutes. Um, so it's instilled in me. A, a kind of um, instinct to plan because also you want to know where your character's going. I don't like to just leave them to wander off and hope they find something interesting. Um, so the planning has been very useful. I'm, I've, I've tilted my computer this way because I've got a whiteboard just over here, which is completely blank. And I just thought I can't let anyone see the blank whiteboard. Um, but I did use that quite a bit. Actually, I put post-it notes on it. I don't know that that's a good idea, just so I could move things around. Um, and I think the planning thing is really important. And that that and actually, the other thing that came from writing for radio and telly for all these years is creating interesting characters. And that's something else I learned from Morris, actually, Um in another episode of Birds that wasn't mine, um, there was a policeman who just came in for one scene and Morris made him into a really eccentric policeman. And so he's only there for a little while, but he he was just very dapper and he was very proud of his suit. And he just got so just saying, do, do, it's Savile Row. I, I can't remember what it was, but it made me realise that even the smallest character has got a backstory and you can just, and, and Annie Stanley on her travels meets so many people either people she hasn't seen for years that she's reconnecting with or people she just chats to on a bench. She chats to an old man on a bench in Canby Island. And I just like those little connections where he tells her a bit about his life story and about his dog and why it's called Olga. Um, And she discovers that he's a big Dr. Feelgood fan because Canby Island, of course, is where Dr. Feelgood came from. And that connects her with him because her dad was a big Dr. Feelgood fan. And um, I think... You mustn't neglect the little characters or the incidental characters because I think they give your main character something to 
to bounce off. And that came from telly and radio. That wasn't the question you asked, was it? I don't care. It's brilliant. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love it. Um, so what's coming next? You mentioned the next book, which I think is called The Year of Bad Choices, which I think oh. is a, a title we can all relate to. <laughs> it's changed actually now because my web. I've just updated my website as of yesterday because um, we had second thoughts about the title. So it's now called The Pre-Loved Club. Okay. Um, where we've all been as well, obviously. Um, that's done and dusted. I've done the structural edit and the – I still can't remember the sequence of all this. I've got another edit to come. Um, that was that was inspired by a radio series I had on a few years ago, and there was so much that never made it to radio about the characters and their lives, and I just wrote them as – and, in fact, actually, I wrote – my agent encouraged me to write 20,000 words of that to send out to people. And that's what got me the commission for Annie Stanley, because I went with um, Pan Macmillan and they said, we like it, but we want this to be your second book. We'd like your first, we'd like your second book to be your first book, which is why I wrote Annie Stanley from scratch. Um, but this is about, yeah, this, this is a sort of, it was inspired by, a setup that I've written about in radio, but never given enough mileage to. So it's about two single people who are just trying to get on with their lives. And also, um, when I wrote it for radio, they were in an online forum, which worked beautifully on radio. Um, but now they're both living in each side of the same city um, and how their lives intersect. Lovely stuff. Where can, where can folks find you online, Sue? Um, www.suetedden.com. I'm on Twitter and Facebook. I'm trying to – I'm sure I'm going to have my wrist slapped soon for just tweeting jolly tweets about um, uh, writing and the excitement of the book, and I do do all that, but um, I'm sure I'm going <laughs> to stop having opinions about politics, <laughs> <laughs> which today – I won't go into it. Today is quite an interesting one, isn't it? It is a bit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, – <laughs> I'm not sure have have other writers talked about this. I just think I should probably calm down my Twitter account, but sometimes I just think delete that, don't post that. It it depends. <laughs> we've we've got some authors who love it and really lean into it and enjoy the rough and tumble of it. Uh, I I myself I just haven't got the energy to put up with all the nurks that come out of the woodwork when you have an opinion. So uh, I, I tend to I tend to be a best foot forward kind of person and then get into fights in the real world. <laughs> That's so sensible. I haven't got into any fights, um, but I think probably I should just keep things a bit more about Annie Stanley and less about. Mm. Um, the world <laughs> yeah. the real world where, the real where, world where, where do you stop with the real world it's just a never-ending um yeah problem. <laughs> the thing about being a writer though is you can do some quite cute things you can be you can be um you don't have to be out and out nasty you can be you know a bit cute with what you say and just be a bit you know disingenuous <laughs> other than uh, so you can yeah that's what i tend to do <laughs> well listen folks if you want to get away from it all join annie stanley all at sea uh get away from it and, and visit some of the most beautiful parts of the country and then listen after that listen to the shipping forecast and that's the best way to cap off a beautiful day isn't it Sue? it is and can i just say while we've been talking i've heard the front door open and i know my box of books has just arrived <laughs> is this is this your finished books yeah 
Do you want to go and get them now? Go and get them now. We'd love to. Go. Well, I'm going to do an unboxing video, so oh. I know that's what you're supposed to do. So I yeah, think I should yeah. hold off for that, and I've got to get my husband to film me, and he's going to say, "Why are you doing this? What's this all for?" <laughs> well, you have to do it because that's what people do. Well, go go and get your books now, and then folks will put a link to Sue's unboxing video <laughs> in in the show notes, so we can all see it and all share in your joy of that wonderful moment of seeing your book for the first time, and it is enjoy every minute of it, Sue. And thank, thank you, you so much thank for you. speaking to us today. No, it's been lovely. Thank you very much for having me on your on your podcast. It's uh, I've listened to some of the others. It's a great it's a great thing, and to encourage people to write something every day is just it's it's brilliant. Wonderful. Thank you, Sue. It's very interesting, Mark, isn't it, to hear a kind of comparison of what it's like to write in TV and what it's like to write in a book. But what really jumped out for me was was the line that that Sue said about how book writing is pleasant. And you don't often hear that from authors who are just authors. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, maybe we all need to go and write for TV first and then we'll really appreciate yeah. how lovely it is to write a book. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, I've referred to my book writing as my happy place. I've not done TV, uh, but I have done film. And there is always a ticking clock, time is money, that sort of thing. I mean, what, sh- what uh, Sue was talking about there with writing for uh, Homefront, I-, I mean, I... I don't know how anyone does that, where you start the show and they're not all written yet. I mean, obviously with soaps, daytime soaps and continuous soaps, uh, I can see that's obviously how they work and there's a ticking clock there. But something like like that, they, they should... I mean, certainly now the practice seems to be write everything first, then... You know, you get a writer's room to go. I mean, it's the American model. That sounds like to me the old British TV model where they, you know, ITV said, hey, we've got three episodes, let's start filming and then we'll make up the rest as we go along. That is super stressful, you know. That is so massively I don't stressful, think that's yeah. the standard these days. Yeah, although yeah. it's funny I mean, it's like, like I said, it's, it's like laying out the track as the, as the train is running. It's yeah, crazy. Fly, flying the plane as, as, as you build it. I think one of the interesting things, though, is like, like our, one of, I think, our joint favourite tv show of all time breaking bad i remember reading vince gilligan once saying that that actually in the initial show and this isn't a spoiler for anyone who hasn't watched it and if you haven't watched it what what, what planet are you living on go go watch it now but um the 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 second main character jesse pinkman apparently was was meant to be bumped off in the first series so they were they were writing as they as they uh, built the tracks because they realized as, as the series progressed that this Jesse Pinkman, who was meant to be a bit of a sidekick to, you know, Walter White um, was actually becoming such an amazing character and everyone was like loving him and the dynamic between the two was so huge. They couldn't kill him off. So I guess there has to be a degree of flexibility. Um, but I guess a lot of shows don't have that. Um, do they have that? Uh, hindsight that they can actually see what's happening as they're writing the show because it's being broadcast. I mean, in the states, most stuff's done, isn't it, before it goes out? Yeah, it's 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 done way in advance. And um, like I say, daytime soaps and stuff like that, they're they're very reactive to that that sort of feedback. Um, but I think the 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 Jesse Pinkman thing. Very often, those shows uh, those. Because we see them on Netflix now and binge them in you know in a, in a short. And funny enough, I'm watching Breaking Bad again, and Claire's watching it with me. Oh, She's are absolutely you? loving it. Yeah, we're like we're nearly end of season four now. Oh my gosh. And um, uh, I, I think they often do those seas. They do the seasons in two halves. So they write see half season one, then they start going out and they start writing. So it's um, but that model, I don't. I mean, maybe some because you, you you've got. Over in the States, you have syndicated TV where you're on a particular channel and you do 22 episodes of 
uh, a Boston legal or whatever, you know. Um, and that that is very much a rolling kind of thing where it's you've got the precinct and it's it is very soap like in that. Okay, what's the problem to be solved this week? What's the new legal conundrum? That kind of thing, or Chicago Fire or PD or whatever. So those kind of shows still works that model, but they are becoming increasingly rare. I think you're seeing this Netflix model where you have a writer's room. Everything is done in advance. Certainly, there's a thing I can't talk about where there's a there's a, a writer's room that I know where they've they've got, you know, six, seven, eight people in the room and everything is being written way in advance. Mm. Uh, I mean, the production is, is has started, you know, you start to see production designs and sets might be built or whatever. Um, but the, the show will be written way in advance of, uh, of the actual production because the stakes are just so high now. You know, it, this high-end, high-end TV, at least, you can't afford to sort of stumble and fall and, and, and drop the ball. It's just because uh, they're, they're essentially, each episode of something like Game of Thrones or The Mandalorian has the budget of a blockbuster movie will have a budget in the tens of millions. Exactly. Yeah, it's quite amazing. I mean, just locally here, we have a a, a daytime TV um, show, which uh, is on Hallmark, I believe. It's called Chesapeake Shores, and they've been filming it. It's meant to be based in Boston, which is on the East Coast, I think. But they're filming it in West Canada because we've got lots of similar kind of... um, uh, you know, trees and mountains and the well, not mountains, but the ocean. And every time I pop down to the, the beach for a walk, there are these just massive crews set up all getting things ready and there's props everywhere. And, and they've got no- notices all over the, the, the locality saying we're going to be filming here in two days and da, da, da. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a big show for, for Hallmark, but it's, you know, it's, it just blows me away the amount of budget that, you know, even for daytime type soaps, for example, and the amount of work that goes into them, it's absolutely mind blowing. When you when you actually walk onto a set and you think this is like they're going to film for like you know get about a minute's worth of <laughs> footage from this, you know, two days of shooting, whatever they're doing, it's utterly mind blowing. So you're right. I mean, it has to succeed, doesn't it? And I think the world of streaming has really changed things in terms of how the financials work. So. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. We can't really, it's happening at such a speed of light as well. It's hard to keep up with. If you're if you're interested, listeners, in TV writing, stay tuned because in a couple of weeks we're also speaking to Richard McBride, um, who has worked on The Bill on British TV and Spooks and Wallander and shows like that. And I was interviewing him today and he's got some amazing little insights out into how he wrote for those shows as well. Wow, fantastic stuff! What else jumped for you, Mark? You, I mean, the 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 idea of the connection between characters was interesting. Oh, I love that! I love that, and that's such a great. You can tell Sue really knows her stuff because it's such a great observation. The little connections between characters, chance encounter on a bench or in a shop or whatever, and don't neglect the little characters because they can bring so much to your uh, to your story. Uh, you know, they they can bring it just. A little bit of color, a little bit of 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 you know uh, dynamism to your story. Uh, so yeah, I think that's, that's such a lovely thing, and and that ties in as well with what she was talking about how setting can um, can change things as well. That idea of the oh, have a bank robbery in the background, you know, which really made me laugh. And that's what I think rewriting it's something I'll be looking at in the next draft of my book. Is you get the important stuff down, you get the spine of your story down, you get that down, and then as you're rewriting, I'm thinking, okay, how can we have more fun with this? How can we make it more dynamic, more colourful? Can it be a fun character that can come in and shake things up? Can it be the setting? And she she talked about that idea of using the juxtaposition 
juxtaposition of place and character. So, you know, have something that's intimate, like a confession at a in a football stadium or something like that, you know, just use that and have real fun with it. And I thought that's some, that's such a great observation and it's something that, that, you know, I'll be taking forward with me as well. Brilliant stuff. Now this week we have a ton of good news, don't we? This is what we like beginning of the summer holidays or the beginning of the school holidays for many people around the world. It's really good to hear people's good news. We're actually, do you know what? We're actually officially now halfway through the year, Mr. Stay. It just, it just hit oh, me no, today because we're yeah. recording this on the 1st of <laughs> July and halfway through the, the year. Um, but lots of good news to celebrate. So much good news. Okay, uh, I don't know where to start. Okay, let's start with Rob Winters, who is at Rob Winters uh, on uh, Twitter. Uh, his book, His Name Was Wren, uh, it, it's, uh, he's, he, he tweeted, he said, bestseller experiment, listening to all those podcasts paid off. Well, he just happens to be number one in the Amazon teen and young adult action and adventure chart. Uh, behind him is something called The Hunger Games. Uh, all three, So he's on top of all The Hunger Games books. And at number one with His Name Was Wren. So Rob, Rob, huge congratulations on that. Brilliant, Rob, well done. There's nothing better than than just knocking a, a best-selling, multi-million-selling book off the top spot. There's nothing better, is there? That's a, that, that should be that should be there should be a badge of honour just for that moment. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Morgan Delaney, uh, who's a member of the Bestseller Experiment team on the Facebook group, there, his new book, People Skins straight into number one on its opening day uh, on Amazon as well. So congratulations on that, Morgan. Uh, huge, huge Brilliant congrats Morgan, on that. Uh, and uh, ah, Rhoda Baxter. Rhoda Baxter, who, again, member of the Best Seller Experiment Group, she's just signed a two-book deal with HQ, which is part of HarperCollins. Uh, so HQ said, we're delighted to announce that the brilliant Rhoda Baxter signed a two-book deal with HQ. Are you a fan of funny, flirty romance fiction? Watch this space for more news on uh, Rhoda's first book coming February 2022. Uh, just amazing. Absolutely. Fantastic. Huge congrats to you, so Rhoda. great. It's been lovely because we've we've kind of watched Rhoda's journey, haven't we, for for a number of years. And it's so wonderful to see that she's suddenly landed that, that two-book deal. That's fantastic news. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. James Sharp, uh, again, a member of the uh, Best Sell Experiment group on Facebook. The Bath Novel Awards. I've only gone and bloody got long-listed. Arg! Uh, he says, anyone else here sharing the joy? And he's 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 he's, he's been long-listed uh, for the Bath Novel Awards, which is a big deal in the UK. Really, really, really big deal. We all piled on with our congratulations. And, and James went on to say, thank you, everyone. I can't quite believe it. Even if I don't make it through to the shortlist, I feel this is a massive achievement and will really help when sending my manuscript out to agents so brilliant well something like that is a real 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 badge of honor and um, we're getting tons of good news over on the uh 200 words a day uh writing over on a twitter so sasha green she wrote 3556 words today smashed through the 35000 on this story uh so uh, and she says every time i listen to the bestseller experiment podcast i always come away with new enthusiasm for writing so th- congrats on that chat sasha and uh, we've had sasha on the show on a deep dive actually uh, i'll put a link Brilliant. in the show notes that if you want to check that out uh, Andrew Chapman, 150-day writing streak. He said, before this, I think the longest was about five years. He's written uh, just shy of 70,000 words, 150 days. That's 462 words today uh, per day per average. 462, so that's double more than double what we're asking people to do. But 462 words, it's not a lot of words every day, but he's done it. He's absolutely smashed it. So congrats there. 
We're actually going to be setting up, Mark, as well, just to just to kind of jump on that with uh, Andrew's amazing achievements with our 150 days. We're going to be starting up clubs within the 200 word challenge. So if you can if you can do seven days, you can join the seven day club, and then we're going to have other ones which are like things to aim for, like the hundred day club. So Andrew's already gone flying in there. So congratulations, that's brilliant. And then we've got we do have some, we have one member, brilliant, I brilliant. believe, of the 500 day club. Mr. Mark Hood and uh, Adam Jarvis, yeah, a member Mr. of Hood. the 250 day club. So, <laughs> brilliant. We're Fantastic. going to be talking a lot more about streaks over the next few months and writing. So yeah, keep posted. Well, hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to add Lily Watson uh, to that, that group because Lily has just started this week and it's uh, at Lily Watson loves on Twitter. And she's just taken up the challenge just a few days ago. And she said, it's, it's so motivating. I've already exceeded 200 words per day. Thanks for being so supportive. Fantastic, Lily. Well done. Wonderful stuff. So congrats to everyone on all that good news. It's just blown me away, you know, absolutely blown me away. And uh, this is why we do this. This is why we keep coming back to hear your good news. So if you've got any good news, get in touch. Absolutely. Let us know anything from major breakthroughs, dream declarations you got for the second half of this year now that we're in the you know, version 1.1 1. 1 of 2021. And I'd like to also congratulate everyone who is reaching their publication because, you know, that's such a massive milestone. There's so many massive milestones actually throughout the writing, uh, throughout the writing kind of uh, process. But I think to, to hit first drafts, to hit edited versions of your books, to actually have publication dates, all huge. So congratulations to everyone who in the last half year has got to that. And if you haven't, if you're struggling, if you think, is this ever going to happen? Really, really knuckle down and, and do the 200 word challenge. It works. Go to 200wordchallenge.com and write a minimum of 200 words a day, literally 15 minutes of your life a day. Um, and you will have a book within the year. You'll probably have a book within a half year because we know that people that do the 200 word challenge typically write a lot more than 200 words a day. Um, we'd also like to thank everyone that I got do. in contact. Yeah, go on, Mr. Stay. I do it. It works for me. And I got an email today from the bestseller experiment telling me that I'm in their top 3%. <laughs> My word. Thank you very much. That's I quite fantastic. enjoyed that. That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. And, um, I would like to thank everyone as well who uh, who joins has joined the academy. We people have been asking when are we going to open again? We missed it this time, or it wasn't right for us because it's summer holidays. We're going to be opening the academy again for a starting date, the beginning of September, so the academic year. So if you are interested in joining us in the academy, if you missed out this summer, um, get along to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com and join and register today, and you'll be ready to rock and roll when the new term, as it were, comes around. Brilliant stuff. And uh, Mark, how can people get hold of us on social media? Yes, come and find us at bestsellerexperiment.com. There's a little contact tab there. You can drop us a line there. On Facebook, we are Bestseller Experiment. Twitter and Instagram, we are at bestsellerxp. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, review on your podcast catcher of choice. Every little review and rating really, really helps us become more visible and help more writers out there. And as always, a big thank you to our editors, Dave and JD, whose lives we make interesting every week, don't we, Mr. Dave? We absolutely do. Yes, thanks a lot, guys, for all of your support <laughs> and help. Excellent stuff. So um, keep cool, everyone. Go pour yourself a cool drink. Uh, don't go driving on the highway in hot weather. And certainly don't get stuck outside sex shops. That's my advice for this week. It's a goodbye <laughs> from Mark 1. 
<laughs> and a goodbye from Mark too. Goodbye. Goodbye.